Welcome to the Family Life Church Podcast. We hope you're blessed and encouraged to share this with someone you know. Subscribe or visit thefamilylife.org for more information. I want to begin today, curiously enough, in a medieval town in the southwest of France named Montflanquin. It has been in existence since 1250. 300 years ago, a family by the name of the Verdine family became the French nobles of that particular village. And for 300 years, they maintained a fabulous chateau called the Chateau Martel on the edge of town. There was a matriarch, Giumet, who had three children, Charles Henry, Elaine, and Philippe. They were the last of the great wealth of the nobles in the fact that those three children I just mentioned to you ended up having regular jobs in the outside world. Philippe was one of the top executives at Shell Oil. Eileen ran a prestigious secretarial and office school in Paris. She commuted. And Charles Henry was a doctor and a local politician. The family sat in that village, which is beautiful if you look it up, in high regard and great fellowship and commonality with everyone who lived there. They were successful, they were happy, and they did all things well. In 1997, Elaine, who was the president of this secretarial school, office administration school in Paris, France, decided to do what was called and what is still called today a tech turnover. And that's where an organization reaches out and they replace all of the technology, all the computers, the printers, everything that they have in the school. She was introduced to a man by the name of Terry Tilly, an average man, a common man, but yet a man who understood technology incredibly well and was able to repurpose all of the technology in the school. The school very quickly became one of the most important and one of the most prominent office management schools in Paris. And during her commutes back and forth, Eileen Verdine began, I'm sorry, Elaine Verdine began describing to her brothers and her mother and all the grandchildren the mind, the experience, the success that this man, Terry Tilly, had afforded her school. And as you might suspect, the next thing you know, this man, Terry Tilly, began to be invited on the weekends to birthday parties, to weddings, and to big events. He had a way of flattering people in the room to make them feel like there was no one else in the room but them and that they were the most important he would say to people like Philippe, you should be the president of Shell Oil. You shouldn't just be a vice president. He would convince them through flattery of how successful and great they were. 
This went on for a few years until the story began to change. And Terry Tilly began to describe a dark society in the world that spent its time tracking down, harming, and killing people of noble blood. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. And the man who made his way in with flattery began to cause great fear in these two brothers and sisters. So much so that they began shifting all of the family's assets to him. They signed the chateau over in trust. And week by week, month by month, year by year, this family that was so connected, so celebrated, and so successful found themselves more reclusive, withholding themselves from everyone, until finally one evening... A lifelong family friend walked up to the chateau and looked through the window and found the entire family, the matriarch, the kids, and the grandchildren, in a dark room, hovered around a candle, in fear that their lives were about to be taken. Terry Tilly spent enough time convincing them that their lives were in danger and that they were missing out and things could go really wrong for them that he actually caused the entire family to move to Oxford, England, into the bleak side of Oxford, England, where they took up homes and apartments and began doing common jobs. And so the family that started 300 years in the past With everything afforded to them, the culture, the wealth, the education, the pedigree, the strength, the nobility, found themselves far away from the chateau and the life they once knew, separated in apartments, living in constant fear. While there, they were nutritionally tortured, they were mentally tortured, they were physically tortured. Until one day, Christine Verdine was working in a French cheese and pastry shop with a man who was a baron. And this baron said to her, there's something about you. This is a sermon for another. There's something about you. You didn't grow up in the common workyards in France. You grew up in nobility. There's something in your mannerisms, something in the way you talk, something in the way you do things. You're just not like everyone else even though you're not at home. That's another day. When asked at the sentencing of Terry Tilly, what is regarded as one of the greatest crimes of the 21st century of deceit, it's been made into books and into movies and written about in magazines. When asked what happened, Charles Henry said, A lot of people assume because of our culture, because of our education, because of our training, because of our status, that we were strong, that we knew what to do, and that we could detect deception. But the reality is, we were not armed to deal with the scale 
of deception that this man brought to our family. Today, I would like to speak to you as this story gripped my heart about deception. The story that began in the cool of the morning in the Garden of Eden, such a subtle, subtle question, hath God said? My brothers and my sisters, we live with the capacity to be deceived. We have read the Bible, we've heard preaching, we've heard teaching, we've been filled with the Holy Ghost, we've been led into all truth, but deception, if we are not careful, is still right around the door. I would like to read first from the book of Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. I'm going to read scripture today. I hope that's okay. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, beware lest any man spoil you through what? Through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. Paul is writing to the Colossians out of a deal that is beginning to happen and out of a scenario that is beginning to unfold in front of the church at Galassi. And he says to them, brethren, be built up in the kingdom, be built up in the word of God. Beware lest any man spoil you, spoil you, convince you, flatter you, cause you to think otherwise through philosophy and vain deceit. We sit in 2022, much as people sat in 2002 and 1992 and 1982 and 1922. We sit in a time where philosophy and vain deceit are running all over the world. And this particular type of philosophy and vain deceit is not about whether you should go to church or not. It's about whether you should be spiritual or not. Attending church and being part of church is a part of living for God. But being spiritual is a completely different part of living for God. We know today that the cash word is to change everything, right? It's not IQ anymore. We look for someone's EQ. Uh, 50 is the new 40. Well, my brothers and my sisters, I would love to tell you that those things are true. And coming up on 50, I hope that it is. But the reality is this. Spiritual things do not change with philosophy and vain deceit. A carnal mind is still enmity with God. And the work of the deceiver would be to deceive you that you can have a carnal mind and still be in the spirit. A carnal mind would tell you that it's okay to be lukewarm. 
philosophy would say it's okay not to be too on fire for God. You might do something uncontrollable. You might worship a little bit higher. You might dance a little bit more. You might speak in tongues a little bit more. You might be led of the Spirit to a place that you're uncomfortable with. So don't be hot in spirit, but rather be lukewarm. Just kind of go through the motions and be Pentecostal and make sure everyone knows that everything you're doing is okay. And that deception is running rampant in the world today. We've got to shake off the vain philosophies. We've got to shake off the vain deceits. And we've got to be completely sold out to what the Spirit of the God of God has to say to us. We must be led of the Spirit and not of the flesh. We must reduce the flesh by the things of the Spirit because the world would tell you it's not necessary anymore. But this is one of our great deceits that we fight today. Matthew chapter 24. And I want to read three portions of scripture here as I continue to build where I'm going. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives and he has his disciples around and they're asking him, What things must be? What must happen before you return? And Jesus says something three times that I want to bring to us. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Matthew 24, 11. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Matthew 24, 24. For their shall arise false Christs and false prophets who show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. My brothers and sisters, we live in a time where Christianity and spirituality is a commodity. You can find it absolutely anywhere, any way that you want it. If you want this, you can find it. If you want that, you can find it. If you want to show and see signs, you can find it. If you want to see wonders, you can find them. If you want to see gold fall out of a Bible, gold dust, you can find a televangelist that will do that. If you want to see your seed turn into multiples of 21 after seven days, you can find a televangelist or someone that will tell you that. You can find someone that will tell you something about God and they will perform and actually try to persuade you of signs and wonders. Jesus said that it must be in the last days before he comes three times to his disciples that there are going to be those who are prophets. There are going to be those who are going to stand up and deceive many. I'm preaching to real people today. I'm preaching to people who have been cultured, educated, and know what they're doing about being a Christian 
deception. And those are the very people that Jesus said can be deceived. That's why Jesus said, be careful out there because there are going to be those who seem like they've got it all together, but they're preaching false doctrine and they're preaching false Christ and they're preaching false Christianity and be very careful because even the very elect might be deceived. I know you feel like you've got it together. I know you feel like there's no way that you're going down, but my brothers and my sisters, just like the Verdeen family that had everything going for them, the question today is not, can I find a deceiver? They're out there aplenty. The question is, am I armed to deal with the scale of deception that is running throughout the world today? Am I spiritually in a place that I can tell the difference between light and darkness, truth and falsehoods. You see, Jesus describing these particular prophets, these particular preachers, these many, are pointing to successful ministries. I don't want to lose friends here, but remember one thing. We're not going to be deceived by failed ministries. We're going to be deceived by followed ministries. Be careful who we're following. Be careful who we're listening to. Be careful who we're reading. Be careful where your information comes from. Because deception begins as flattery, turns to fear. And the next thing you know, you're a family far away from where you should be, all because of the entanglement of deception. I don't like it. I don't feel that way. It's not my opinion. I don't want to do it that way. It's an interesting thing when the want to in godly living becomes a have to, because when we first get saved, we want to live for God. As we move down the track, then we have to do things to live for God. We must be very cautious of when the want to becomes a have to. And when you find yourself on the altar, I've got news for you. You'll find that the have to becomes a want to because God is all about renewing us and restoring us and refilling us and changing us through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, Brother Hughes, why are you preaching about deception today? I just want to give you one clue, and then I'm going to give you three things to arm you and your family. If any man sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank God. Everyone here from the front to the back, to the right to the left, the left to the right, we have all had to appeal to our advocate. We have all had to appeal and ask for the forgiveness of God. We have all had to ask for the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus for our sins to be wiped away again and again and again and again. The church is nothing more than a collection of people who have had to repent and turn from their wicked ways and ask for forgiveness. There's none of us here that hasn't had to do that. Understand what I mean when I say what I'm getting ready to say. There is no justification for sin, but all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we have found forgiveness from God. But this is my next statement. Understand what I mean when I say this. It's not that receiving the forgiveness of sin is hard. Rather, We know through the promise of the scripture, it's easy. If you come down and we repent and we do the right things, God will forgive us. 
So when I'm getting ready to say this, please don't misquote me. But it's easier to find forgiveness of sin and the release of guilt than it is to become untangled from the web of deception. The untangling from deception can take weeks and months and years and can go through generations if you're not careful. Because deception doesn't need generations to unfold. Deception can happen in one generation, as we learned with this family. All it takes is one generation to take their eye off of the prize, to take their eye off the goal, to take their eye off godliness, to take their eye off living for God. And in one generation, families can become entangled in the trap and in the web of deception. And that's why the writers and the Lord gives us exactly the punishment for the original deception that happened in the garden. I go back today to the the phrase, and I've read about this crime many times over. It fascinated me. And I'm just so amazed by the statement that Charles Henry made. Humbly, not arrogantly, but as a humble man, he said, we were not armed to deal with someone at such a scale of deception. And and I began thinking about that because it's a humble admission. We were not armed to deal with someone at such a scale. One thing we know about the adversary, the devil, is that he is no dummy. He knows how to deceive. He knows what to tempt with. He knows the sin that so easily besets us. He knows that a little bit of doubt goes a long way. He knows that if he can deceive one, perhaps many will follow because deception as a web, continues to unfold and wrap around. And so I thought to myself, there's several things I could apply here, but I'm only going to give you three. I was thinking to myself, am I armed for deception? I've been in the ministry a long time. I've had ups, I've had downs. I've been spirit-filled since I was 12 years old. Seen a lot of changes, heard a lot of things. I've been through several several different political uh, parties. I've been through several different wars. I've been through several different types of of Christianity and in the sense and the way that we do things. And I, I cling back to these few things that I know that God has done that never change. Three things to arm yourself and your family. Matthew chapter four, verse four. The first thing to do to arm yourself is to love the Word of God. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is powerful. We're going to read about that. The Word of God is not something that should collect dust in your house. The Word of God should be something you reach forward to every single day of your life. 
The word of God should be listened to. It should be read. It should be put into your heart. And I'm going to go forward. I'm going to say some things that you're really going to like. And this is what the reality, the word of God is actually higher than our opinions. The word of God is actually higher than our ideas. The word of God is where we root and plant ourselves so that we can remain a peculiar people, a chosen people, a people that are different from the world. It comes from the word of God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24. This is a way that you can be armed against the deceiver. This adversary had taken Jesus up onto a mountain and he had began to tempt him three different ways. And one of the things he said was, turn these stones to bread. And the Lord answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. My brother, and sisters, this word is inspired. It is God's word for us in 2022. If you aren't in love with your Bible, you need to get in love with your Bible. You need to devote time to it. You need to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts where the Bible says that they read the word day and night so that they knew what things were so. We need a good old-fashioned renewing of Bible reading. We need an understanding of the word of God. And if you're having a hard time reading and understanding understanding the Bible, ask the Savior to help you. He will gladly show you his word and show that the power of living for God comes from the foundation of reading the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 and 12, what exactly is in my hand? For the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. My brothers and sisters, this thing is powerful. You want some power in your life? You want spiritual power in your life? Open up the Bible and apply it. You want to walk through your house quoting the Bible. You ought to walk through your office quoting the Bible, holding the Bible, reading the Bible, knowing the Bible, and understanding the Bible. Because the Bible is alive. And it is available to you. Second Peter chapter 3 All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Wait, I need doctrine. Yes, you need doctrine. It is, uh, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. Wait a minute. This, this does all that? Yes. If you need reproof, you can find it. If you need correction, you can find it. If you need instruction, you can find it. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. My brothers and my sisters, the word of God will thoroughly furnish you to do the things that you need to do to live for God and to understand the things that the adversary is going to throw your way. I want to say one more thing about your relationship with the word of God. And and no one has asked me to say this. so I'm going to boldly step out and say it. It is so vital that you are here. It is so vital that you are in the house of God. And I'll tell you the reason why. This is the very reason why you need to hear the teaching and the preaching of the pastor for this sanctuary of the house. And I want to go one step further. It's time we get our feet under the table and dine at the table. The pastor is preaching. The pastor is teaching. The pastor is leading us in righteousness. The pastor is leading us in instruction. You are not going to make it without the preached word of 
God in your life. You aren't going to make it without the taught word of God in your life. And don't think you can walk out here and be independent and be completely repellent from the preaching and the teaching. You need it. You need it on Sunday. You need it on Wednesday. You need it on the podcast. We need the preaching of the word of God. And why did Paul say that? He said, let's not just be hearers, but let's be doers of the word of God, lest we deceive ourselves. We don't need to just hear, we need to do. And you're not going to do if you're not going to receive the word of God. So let's make sure we're here. Let's get behind the preaching. Let's be ready to listen. Let's be ready to receive. Let's be ready to be moved by God through the work and the power of the pastor, which is part of the fivefold ministry for the perfecting of the saints, you're not going to make it without a pastor. I'm bold enough to tell you, you need the preaching and the teaching of the man of God in your life. And if you're not following it and if you're not receiving it, you're missing out. And you'll find yourself unarmed. Unarmed for the scale of deception. Number two, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church and he says to them in verse 10, as we're turning there, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, you don't have it on right now, but put it on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil, the deceit, the deception, the tools, the tricks of the devil. I've got to put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why is it important? He says, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, brothers and sisters, remember this always. Flesh tires out. Blood drains out. So any battle that you have with flesh and blood ultimately comes to an end of exhaustion or drain. But we're not fighting flesh and blood. The fight that we're fighting is spiritual. It doesn't end just because it's 1030 at night. It doesn't end because you had a good day because a bad day can follow. This battle that we're fighting is a spiritual battle. It is not waged between 6 and 8 or 8 or 10. This battle is going to be between flesh and blood. It's not like that. This is going to be against principalities and against powers, against rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness where in high high places. The deceiver knows exactly how to fight you, my brothers and my sisters. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're capable of. He knows what you're not capable of. He knows what you're prepared for, and he knows what you're not prepared for. Therefore, you've got to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand... Now, why does Paul talk about this particular form of armor? It is simply because this soldier is not a soldier who's fighting off of a horse. He is not a soldier who is fighting from behind the walls or from the top of walls. This soldier is standing by himself 
on the ground. This is why he has to have a helmet for the attack from above and a shield for the arrows that are going to come. He has to have the breastplate in case uh, danger and weaponry is coming at his chest. He has to have truth girt about his loins. Why? So he can fight freely. This soldier is not on a horse. He's not behind a wall shooting catapults. He's not shooting arrows uh, from the top of the wall. He is right in the middle of the battle. My brothers and sisters, have you ever felt like you're right in the middle of the battle, that you're standing firm, and everywhere you turn, the adversary is trying to get you? Well, there is an answer for that. You've got to put on the whole armor of God. You've got to have the whole armor of God at your disposal. You want to deal with the adversary. You want to deal with deception. You need to put on the whole armor of God. You need to understand truth. You need to understand the way that we live is not of this world. You need to understand that the adversary is doing everything he can to defeat that lowly soldier on his own in the battlefield when no one is around and no one is there. You put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand in that day against the wiles of the devil. Lastly, the third way that we arm ourselves is through renewing. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know this verse very well. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. One of the most dangerous positions to be in as a child of God is in a non-renewed mind. Our minds are very interesting, aren't they? How many words we speak in a day. Uh, some people process things, process things quicker than others. Some people have great memories. Some people have poor memories. Our minds are really vast. They're very interesting. So many studies are done about the mind, but there is one thing that is evidently clear since the time of the scripture. Uh, he will keep you in per- perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Uh, a double-minded man is unstable and in, in all of his ways. There is danger in the mind. And an unrenewed mind is a very dangerous place to be. An unrenewed mind is a mind that allows bitterness to creep in. An unrenewed mind allows you to hold grudges. An unrenewed mind allows you to cause to have doubt about the things that you've been taught and the things that you believe. An unrenewed mind becomes stale. An unrenewed mind doesn't see miracles because it doesn't have faith. An unrenewed mind goes nowhere spiritually but stays in in, in what I would call just the the treadmill of Christianity. An unrenewed mind goes nowhere. And why is it important that you have your mind renewed? Because the adversary would love nothing more than for you to have an unrenewed mind. Because once your mind is made up that you're going to pursue spiritual things, then you begin moving. And then you begin shaking. And then things begin to happen. But the longer we exist and sit with unrenewed minds that can't be moved on 
by the Holy Ghost, the longer that we get the same results over and over and over again. And that's why Paul is saying, I beseech you by the mercies of God. I'm begging of you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves unto him and to have the renewing of the mind. We have to have a renewing of our minds in 2022. It's a renewing of a mind to humility for spiritual things, to turn down the things of the world and pick up the things of the kingdom. Our mind must be renewed on a daily basis. Our mind must be renewed into the image and the thoughts of God and being transformed from the things of this world. Because the mind is what the world is after. I remember one time I was in New York and I was hearing a portfolio manager speak about stocks. And he said, we're going to invest in, in what we call sin stocks, the things that addict people. And I thought to myself, okay, I get it. Human nature, we get addicted. We don't typically change. The first thing he said the first item on his list for looking for companies was media and news. I'll never forget looking at that man thinking, you're crazy. And now I look 20 years back, and we find ourselves so addicted to media and to news. Our pastors spoke about it. We had to have a revival about this, my brothers and sisters. We need to have a renewing of our mind. We need to understand these are highly paid actors doing nothing more than trying to make you angry and get you to choose sides. That's what this is all about. And if you don't understand that, we'll talk after church. You have news anchors and opinion anchors. It's pretty simple. But the Bible is very clear that a renewed mind is a source of spiritual liberty. But a mind that is addicted or a mind that is unrenewed is going to keep going back to the same things that it used to go back to you and the adversary would love nothing more than for you to have an addicted mind, not an addicted body necessarily, but an addicted mind to ungodliness and to things that do not matter for your spiritual life, but rather will pull from your spiritual life. We need a renewal. Lift up your hands and say, God, renew my mind. Renew my mind. Renew my mind. In my conclusion, the third item to bring to your spiritual life and into your home so that you don't have the same story about your spiritual family and life as the Verdeen family had in Montflanquin, France, starting in the palace, ending up in the apartment, starting in exclusivity and success, Ending up in the shadows. The last thing we need in our arming that I'm speaking about of three things is a renewing in the Holy Ghost. Titus chapter 3, verse number 4. Paul had sent Titus to the island of Crete. It's a wonderful island. Some of us have been there. Actually got to go to Titus's church in the pulpit while I was there. It's a wonderful place, but a lot of things were said about the Cretans that they were liars, that they had some bad descriptions about them. But Paul said to Titus, "I'm sending you there why to get things in order that are not in order." 
There was a mission. There was something that had gone awry. Something had moved from the direction it was supposed to be going. There was spiritual misalignment. There was spiritual depravity. Something had gone wrong. And Paul said to Titus, I'm sending you there to get things right. And this is what he had to say. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Thank God for the love and the kindness of our God. Not of not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration. Are you glad to be born again? Are you glad to be born again? Nicodemus said, how, how can I be born again? And the Lord said, by water and by spirit. Praise God, if you've been born again of water and of spirit, you ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. We've been born again. He then says something that we talk about, something that we think about, and something that we should be involved in a whole lot more. And by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. There isn't anyone here who doesn't need a refilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've never received it for the first time, I'm here to tell you the Lord is ready, willing, and able, well prepared to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We've had some great teaching about the Holy Ghost. You can receive the Holy Ghost. It's a gift. It's God God's gift to us. It is evidenced in the book of Acts by speaking in other tongues. And that's why the writer said it fell on us the same as it did in the beginning because it was the same receiving of the Holy Ghost. But once you receive the Holy Ghost, there is a reality that begins to happen to unrenewed minds. We become a bit stale. We become a bit mature. We become a get, get philosophical. We become a little bit steady and stodgy in our way. What we need is a brand new renewing in the power of the Holy Ghost. That same Holy Ghost that infilled you and you spoke in tongues and you danced and you shouted and you felt like you could leap a wall like David. You felt like you could take on the world. It's the same Holy Ghost today. You need to be refilled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on down. The Lord is ready. He's ready to fill. He's ready to renew in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost isn't a one-time thing. The Holy Ghost is a continual thing. That's why Paul said, I die daily. I've got to have something about me that is turned over to the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit that resides in Jesus Christ was poured out to us. You want to be armed for the day of deception? You've got to get in your word. You've got to put on the whole armor of God. And you've got to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. You can't overcome the grudge that you have. Get refilled with the Holy Ghost. You can't overcome temptation. Be renewed in the Holy Ghost. You can't stop fighting with other people. Get in the altar and get refilled with the Holy Ghost. You can't overcome addiction. Get in the altar and get filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. God wants to renew people in the Holy Ghost. This isn't 1980, this isn't 1990, it's 2022. And the Lord that we know is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His spirit does not change. His outpouring does not change. And my brothers and sisters, his renewing does not change. Stand if you would right now. I'm opening up this altar to families. I'm opening up the altar to individuals. I'm opening up the altar to anyone. Anyone and everyone. 
who needs to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. I'm opening up the altar today to anyone who needs to get over a grudge, anyone who needs to get over addiction, anyone who needs to get over where you're at spiritually. Because I've come to tell you, the deceiver is going to use vain deceit, philosophy. We know that. We know that there are going to be antichrist. We know that there are going to be doctrines that leap up. We know that there is going to be every attempt for us to be deceived. We don't want to find ourselves in a place where we were not armed to deal with the scale of deception. We don't want to start in a place where we are today and end up woefully far from where we began, all because we were not armed. I've only given you three things. And as we begin to pray, I pray that God just renews in us the Holy Ghost and the reality deception. Let's begin to pray, saints. Father, in the name of Jesus. We don't want to be entangled in deceit. We don't want to foolishly move along without spiritual growth. We don't want to slowly move along and go nowhere. Thank God for your love to us, but thank God for the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, you said to your disciples that they could be deceived. Even the very elect could be deceived. Father, now give us direction. Refill us with the Holy Ghost. Give us the things we need in 2022 to deal with deception. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else who'd like to be in this altar this morning? The Lord is here to meet you. The Lord is here.